Morning, church. Are you ready for a spiritual meal this morning? Amen. We're going to start by looking at the word together in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to delve into the word here with a scripture on the, um, the, the passage that Pastor Adam is going to be giving uh, to us this morning. So for those that are able, would you please stand with me that we may honor God and his word together. Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So Jesus left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You may be seated. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. Amen. Thanks, Bob. Well, good morning. It's good to see good to see each of you here. Uh, if you're a guest, we again are glad you're with us today and hope that you enjoy your time with us here at Redeeming Grace uh, this day. We are finally back in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, those of you who are new to our congregation, Uh, When we were still a campus of Leonardtown Baptist Church, back in December, I think, of 2012, we began an exposition of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're picking back up with that today. Uh, God willing, we're going to finish that probably around November of this year. We're going to pick up some pace here in this latter half of Matthew, and we're going to be working our way through it. We still have a couple of sermon series sprinkled in uh, throughout this summer and and fall, uh, but we're going to turn our attention back to God's Word in the Gospel of Matthew today. I'm looking forward to it. And so we pick up with chapter 16. Uh, The scene here begins near the Sea of Galilee. Jesus and his disciples had had just performed yet another miracle we call the feeding of the 4,000. You can see that account back in Matthew 15, verses 32 through 39, and uh, very similar to when he fed the 5,000, but some want to argue they're the same event. They're, They're separate events. There's two miracles that take place, one with 5,000, one with 4,000. And so it's on the heels of that now that Jesus and his disciples were told in 1539 in 
chapter 15, verse 39, not the year, uh, that they, were, they went away and got into a boat and went to the region of uh, Magadan or uh, Magadan, however you want to pronounce that, but uh, most likely on the uh, western side of the Sea of Galilee where they now encounter the Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees. And it's this encounter that really sets up for us what we need to understand and unpack this morning. Because when, when Jesus and his disciples in, encounter the Pharisees, it's not their first encounter, is it? And it seems that, it, that as time goes on, that every time Jesus and his disciples encounter the Pharisees, uh, the, the tension in, intensifies, the, 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 the opposition continues to mount. And that is no less true in our text this morning. The problem is this, just, just straight up. The, the kingdom of God was invading. Remember, Jesus even says at the beginning of the gospel and other gospel accounts that, that, that they went about preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the kingdom of God is, is entering. It's, 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 uh, it's imposing itself. And that's a good thing uh, in, in the world that is fallen. And the reception of that kingdom is not always a positive reception. We see that demonstrated through the hearts of these Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious leaders. These religious leaders are totally blind to the truth and the impact of the kingdom of God. They're, they're, they're oblivious. They're religious leaders. They're, they're men of the word. They were instructors of the law. They had studied the law and would communicate the law, understanding even that there was a Messiah to come, and, and they were oblivious when that Messiah stood right before their very eyes. So you have that problem that continues to exist. But then there are also the disciples, these brothers who had been called to follow Jesus, now going to be used ultimately of Christ to propagate the gospel eventually. We'll see that through the rest of the New Testament, certainly the book of Acts. But even now, these men were struggling with, with, with arriving at a clarity to, to exactly who this Jesus is. They had left all to follow him, but they were still just trying to figure it out. They were still puzzled a bit. They were still still expecting a, a different type of ministry. And even here you see their struggle. But there is a transition, I believe, in this particular chapter of Matthew where the disciples begin to gain more understanding and clarity begin, begins to exist for them. So with all of that backdrop in mind, Jesus continues his ministry. He continues to teach. He continues to do miracles. Pharisees and Sadducees are blind to it, opposed to it, reject it. In fact, they want Jesus out of the picture. The disciples are following, but there's still some uncertainty and some, some lack of clarity they're struggling with. And so we come to our text this morning, and I want us to see how, how Jesus, continuing in his ministry, helps us through these encounters with both the Pharisees and his disciples, help us, helps us see how we are to respond to him and how we are to help others in the ministry to which God has called us to. Because listen, 2,000 years later, Things are no different. 2,000 years later, God's kingdom continues to advance. Men, women, boys, and girls from every nation continue to be reached with the gospel. The church continues to be built. And there still exist millions, if not billions of people who are blind to the truths of the kingdom. 
And there are even some, even in our churches, perhaps even in our midst this morning, that are blind. Even some who are sleepy, not physically, but spiritually. You're following, but you're still struggling. We want to address both of those from this text this morning and see what the Word of God has to say. I want to divide it into two pieces as we walk forward together in the time we have left today, as we unpack scripture together. I want us to look first of all at the state of the spiritually blind, and then we're gonna look at the, what I call the stupor of the spiritually sleepy. Uh, and so if you're sleepy, it's kind of a nice mood in here this morning, just don't go to sleep, right? Um, stay with me. Uh, let's first address the state of the spiritually blind. That's really in verses one through four of chapter 16. Both the Pharisees and Sadducees joined together and approached Jesus. Look at verse one, the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now this is significant. We know that typically Jesus is sparring with the Pharisees, but now the Sadducees join and they come to him in order to test him. They were not really curious about who he was. They were determined in their opposition to put him away. And they were really just, just calling him to do signs for a test, to stir up the crowds, if you will, to also join ranks in opposition to him. Now, this is interesting and it's significant because you have both the Pharisees and the Sadducees joining together in their opposition. This is significant because normally they weren't joining together to do anything except argue. The Pharisees were, were the conservative uh, leaders, the religious leaders who held to a strict interpretation of the law, and they added a whole lot of things to it. They had all these rules and regulations and tradition that they imposed upon the, the biblical text and, and were the perfect legalists. And then you had the Sadducees who really didn't believe much about Scripture. They denied the miracles, they denied the resurrection. They were still anticipating Messiah, but again, it was more political. They were really politicians at their hearts. And so there was this, this, you could call them modernists if you wanted to. You had the conservative, strict law, abiding Pharisees and the liberal moderates that, that really denied the miracles and really didn't want much to do with the scripture and strict, strict interpretations. But they were bipartisan in their efforts and their opposition against Christ. This is, this is quite significant. I mean, just think about if they're not the equivalent, but think about if Republicans and Democrats came together today and actually wanted to do something. I mean, we would be expecting Christ to return, right? This is sort of what's going on here. I mean, you have these opposing parties coming together. They're, they're divided in all these other ways, but they're together when it comes to standing against Jesus. And their request for a sign was, it was a ridiculous request. They weren't looking for a sign. They had already made up in their own minds about Jesus and they were simply looking to destroy him and turn the crowds against him. They had all that they could ask for. Why would they need yet another sign? I mean, Jesus had demonstrated sign after sign, miracle after miracle. It was a foolish request, but it, it, it exposes the reality of their hearts. They were totally blind to the reality of who Jesus was. They didn't see him as the Messiah. They didn't embrace him as, as the coming anointed one who was going to come and redeem Israel and ultimately all who would place their hope in him. They had seen his miracles but refused to connect the dots. 
So a new sign wasn't going to change things for them. You see, the problem with the Pharisees was not the lack of signs. The problem was that their hearts were hardened and their eyes were closed. That was the problem. So I want us to consider a couple of realities about those who are spiritually blind from the text. We could list many, but from our text this morning, I want to just point out several realities about those who are spiritually blind as demonstrated in the Pharisees and Sadducees in our text this morning. Number one, the spiritually blind persist in their opposition against Jesus. Look at verse one, they come together, ask him for a sign from heaven. So again, they're, they're together. MacArthur, John MacArthur says, instead of coming to Jesus for spiritual sight, they confirm their love of blindness. They love the blindness. They confirm their love of blindness by making league with other ungodly men against him. Listen to this. Listen, you, you, every single one of you, myself included, us together, you and I will never be neutral when it comes to Christ. You will never be neutral. You're not born in this neutral category. You are either with him by his grace or you are opposed to him. There's no in between. And the Pharisees here demonstrate their, their radical opposition against him. And that only intensifies throughout their existence and throughout their interaction with Jesus. You will never be neutral in your response to Jesus or your stance uh, with him. It will either be with him or against him. And listen, that either, either when you're either with him or against him, that will continue to increase in those directions. You will not even stay the same in your stance of Christ. If you're for him, you will continue to grow by his grace continue to increase in godliness and Christ-likeness. If you're against him, your opposition will only intensify. This is a critical point you, need to, you and I need to see when it comes to the ministry of Jesus. I wanna just point to a couple of passages that, that speak to these very issues about the blindness of, of those who cannot see the truth and refuse to see the truth. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand because they are spiritually discerned. Foolishness, people look at Jesus even today and it's just utter foolishness. Why in the world would you waste your time, they would say, with this. Ephesians chapter four, verse 18, Paul's referring to the Gentiles. He's, he's exhorting the church at Ephesus to not walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And he says, 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. That's the reality here with, with these religious leaders. They are hardened and they're persisting. They're even increasing in that, that opposition against Jesus. That's a sobering reminder for us that if, friends, these are religious leaders. These are men of the law. I'm talking primarily about the Pharisees. They were experts in teaching and they stood fast in their opposition. And you don't, you know, I don't have to be experts even, but that's telling, isn't it? Even the experts in these religious truths stood hard in their opposition against him. If they can reach that state, how much more can those who aren't even teaching the truth? Number two, the spiritually blind suppress God's clear revelation. Look at verses two and three. He answered them, 
When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Listen, he said, you guys watch the weather channel all the time. You know what it's going to do out there, right? You can, you can understand weather forecasts and get it. But when I come with the message of the kingdom of God and clearly display and demonstrate before you the, the entrance of this kingdom, you refuse to accept it. Friends, the Pharisees and Sadducees had seen all one needed to see as Jesus demonstrated time and time again his authority and his power and his glory. And when it came down to it, they simply refused. They simply refused to believe him. We know that their hard hearts, their blindness led them to reject the truth regardless of what they saw with their eyes. I'm reminded of of a passage in Romans chapter 1. Reminded of this passage, Paul's talking here about the general revelation of God, how he's revealed himself to all people just through creating. He says, for the wrath of God, verse 18, chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And he goes on for his visible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they were without excuse. He's talking there about how God has displayed himself in creation so that all were without, all are without excuse. But here there's more. There's visible revelation of Christ before their very eyes. They're in a worse place because of their, their rejection of the Messiah who's standing before them. But Romans helps us understand that even when things are clear, the hardness of the human heart can still stand in opposition, in opposition to Christ. These leaders are that hard soil that Jesus speaks about in the parable of the sower. The word never penetrates their heart. They continue in unbelief despite the clear revelation that's before them. I'm reminded of what the French atheist Voltaire said once. Get this, this is what he says. Even if a miracle should be wrought in the open marketplace before a thousand sober witnesses, I would rather mistrust my senses, senses than admit a miracle. Just demonstrates the reality of spiritual blindness. Listen, friends, unbelief will always find a way to reject the truth, no matter how clear it is. And friends, that ought to be a warning That ought to be a warning for those of us who might be here this morning and are tempted in this way. Maybe you have seen, you've heard, and you just say, I don't don't buy it. I'm glad you're here because I'm telling you that that what you're going to see in just a moment and the next point here is the danger you face if you persist in your opposition against Christ. Let me just go to that next point. The spiritually blind pave their way to judgment. Look at verse 4, and Jesus responds to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. He left them and departed. He abandons them. 
He refers to the sign of Jonah. We know that that was often, that was also referred to back in chapter 12, I think verse 39, where Jesus refers to the sign of Jonah as the only sign that they needed. And it's a reference ultimately to his death and resurrection, which Jonah points us to. You read the book of Jonah, it's a picture. It really happened. The dude really was swallowed by that big fish, but it's also a picture pointing us forward to Christ. And Jesus is saying the sign of Jonah That's the sign I'm given. I'm going to die for sinners. I'm going to defeat death, hell, and the grave and raise from the dead. That's what sign I'm giving you, and you won't even accept that. So Jesus here in verse 4, when it says he left them and departed, that's that's more, friends, that's more than just a physical departure. This is judicial language he's using here. He is moving on and leaving them in their hard state because they refuse to believe. That should be a sobering warning for you and for me because friends, if you continue to persist in your stubbornness, your blindness, your hardness of heart, there's coming a day when Jesus will let you have what you want and he will let you remain in that state as judgment now and judgment certainly in the future. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. So let this teach us when it comes to rejecting Jesus, One cannot blame the lack of evidence. You you will not stand before God on judgment day trying to somehow make up an excuse. Lord, you weren't clear enough. He's been crystal clear. He's been crystal clear in creation that there's a God and crystal clear in his revelation that there is a Christ who died for you. Crystal clear. Can't blame the evidence. The only thing you can blame is your own heart. Friends, these were not stupid men. They were well-educated, knowledgeable. And even when the Messiah stood right before them, their eyes did not believe what they saw. Friend, the good news for you and for me is that even in the midst of our spiritual blindness, listen, God is a God who opens the eyes of the blind. Newton got it right in his song, didn't he? Once was blind, but now I see. Why? Why do you see? Because you were smart enough one morning to click on the light switch? No, it was because God invaded your heart. It was because God brought that life and light to you. And and if you're there this morning, you're struggling with believing these things and you just don't know and you, you think I'm describing you this morning, Again, we we love you and we're glad you're here and we want to be your friend and we want to come alongside of you and help you and encourage you and be able try to answer questions you might have. But listen, your only hope is to cry out to Jesus, the one who opens the eyes of the blind and gives hearing to those who are deaf. Cry out to him and trust in him and you will be saved. That is the promise of the gospel. It's the promise of the gospel. And then That's the state of the spiritually blind. Let me now address the stupor of the spiritually sleepy. This is verses 5 through 12. Now I'll go quick. We we transition here. Jesus has been describing, he's been talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and get into a boat and they depart. They leave them and now go to the other side. They've just been at the feeding of the 4,000. They go across the sea, encounter the Pharisees. They get back in the boat and now they go yet again away from them most likely now on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they arrive there, upon their arrival, the the disciples realize 
hey, the food supply is low. All right, verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they'd forgotten to bring any bread. And I'm sure the blame game was going on. Hey, who was responsible for this? Peter, right? No, John. No. Who, who was responsible for the bread? And so they're probably engaged in this argument, as the text seems to indicate, because the food supply was low. And probably in that sparsely populated northern side of the Sea of Galilee, they, they, there were probably some distance from, from giant or shoppers, and, and Wawa wasn't even there when they arrived. And so they're, they're just trying to figure out how they're going to eat, right? Eating is important. And so they immediately begin discussing the problem at hand. And, and of course, Jesus, as he always does, he enters their conversation to direct their conversation where it needed to be. He uses this as a teaching point. And he engages them in verse 6, and he says to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We bought no bread. This is almost comical, isn't it? Can you, I mean, just put yourself here in the boat, right? They're talking about, hey, who forgot the bread? And Jesus says, by the way, you need to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And you could, oh, he said leaven. See, we need bread, you know. Who forgot the bread? It just didn't click. It didn't click with them. You know, it's, it's let me pick on us husbands. It's like us husbands when we kind of check out of a conversation. Wives, do you have one of these guys at home? I'm not that way. You can just ask my wife. But maybe she's trying to tell you something, and you sort of hear bits and pieces of that something, and then you respond and, and say, what exactly were you saying? That's never a good place to be, guys. When your wife is speaking, you stop what you're doing. I'm preaching to me, okay? We stop what we're doing. We look at them, and we listen. The disciples were not doing that. They were just catching bits and pieces because they were so consumed with themselves. They were missing what Jesus was saying. Just like us husbands sometimes, when we're so consumed with ourselves, we miss what others are saying to us. But friends, Jesus wasn't talking about food. He was warning them of a greater problem. What's revealed here is, is, is the sleepiness of the disciples' heart. It was Calvin who said that their faith was asleep at this point. They're sleepy. So several things I want to, to, to point out quickly as we examine the sleepiness of their hearts because, friends, all of us, even if, especially if you claim the name of Jesus, you are prone to this. You are prone to a sleepy faith. And we want to do everything that we can to, to put up barriers so that we do not walk through life in a sleepy state. We don't want to be sleepwalkers. It's dangerous. So, several observations about the sleepiness of the human heart. Number one, it reveals our tendency to forget. The example of the disciples reveals our tendency, our proneness to forget. Anybody here have memory problems? Yeah, it happens, yeah. The older you get, the harder it gets. Well, it's a spiritual problem. Ultimately, what we're talking about here. In verse 9, Jesus says to him, says to them, they're, they're, they're going back and forth about bread. He engages and they don't get it. Verse 8, Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember? Do you not remember? 
the disciples had already lost sight of the miracles that Jesus had accomplished. And get this, two, two times in their recent past, Jesus had multiplied bread for thousands, little bits and pieces of food that could only maybe feed 10 or 20. He takes and feeds thousands. And they're upset because they have no food. Friends, we are all prone to forget. The disciples had temporarily forgotten the miracles. They'd grown sleepy towards the things that they had seen. Do a a word search in the Bible, and you will be amazed at how many times in the Scripture the command to remember is present. Remember, remember, remember. Why do you think God has given us those commands? Because he knows our tendencies to forget. We are in constant need of being reminded, especially, especially about the glorious gospel of Jesus. That's one of the problems, side sermon, that's one of the problems for, for Christian apathy today. Complacency in the Christian life is because they've taken their eyes off of Jesus and they're just in existence in maintenance mode, trying to do things in their own strength and power, and they're not preaching the gospel to themselves every day like we should. And then maybe they gather in a, in a setting like this, and amazing grace comes on, and mo- some of which are like, yes, we love this song, and I guarantee you there was someone in this room, guarantee it, almost. There was someone in here saying, why are we singing amazing grace? We, for the thousandth time, we're singing this song again. Let me tell you why we're singing it again, because you need it for the thousandth time. You need reminding of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's why, because we're prone to forget. We're prone to have hearts that wander away from the truth. Friends, be aware of that. Fight against that. Number two, we see in the disciples the, our preoccupation with the mundane. Look at verses 8 through 10. Again, they're, they're arguing over food. Now, eating is important, right? That's a given. Without food, eventually you're going to die. Right? You need water more so, but food's still important. So it's an important conversation to have if they're going somewhere and their stomachs are starting to growl, growl like yours is right now, starting to growl. It's important that you eventually get to lunch. I will stop at some point, I promise. It's that important for you that you get nourished today and we will give you that opportunity. But listen, they were demonstrating a lack of faith because they were making a, a smaller priority the main priority. You know, Christians and churches do this all of the time, don't they? They become so preoccupied with temporal, mundane matters to the negligence of that which matters more. There are many priorities we have in life, but friends, there are just some that matter more than others. You've heard me talk about this before probably, but this is for those who are new. You've heard me mention the church. This was in... Back in East Tennessee, a friend of mine was aware of this pastor, the pastor of this small church, and, and they had a, a deacon's meeting or some kind of leader's meeting one, one evening, and, and the pastor was just really burdened about the state, the spiritual state of their congregation, and he was about to unpack for them all of the concerns of, that he had. 
And before he was able to do that, one of the, the deacons spoke up, or after he did that, actually, after he heard the pastor, he said, Pastor, what are you talking about? We've had an excellent year. We were able to buy a dishwasher for the fellowship hall. And he was dead serious. This is what happens when we take our eyes off the gospel. Preoccupied with temporary, sometimes insignificant matters. And let me just, let me just use this as an example for your own self-examination. Your schedule this week, your schedule last week will indicate to you and to everybody who knows you what matters most to you. It just will. I can refer back again to the parable of the sower. It was the seed that fell among thorns that Jesus warned about that seems somewhat relevant here. Remember there in Matthew 13, verse 23 or 22, he says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. I'm afraid that's the reality of so many in the church today. We can have another discussion about whether or not they're really Christians or not, but, but that's true. We, we're so preoccupied with the thorns. We miss what matters eternally. It doesn't mean that the things that we get preoccupied with are unimportant. They do have their place, but in the right place, with the right priority. And sometimes we have to make decisions individually and even as a church we have a lot of important things before us, and we just have to ask the question, what matters most? What matters most? Don't be preoccupied with, with things that are insignificant so that we become oblivious to the things that are most significant. And then number three, our need to be vigilant. Verses 11 and 12, this is really the point Jesus was trying to make with them. And then he had to do all of this other talk. He's warning them of the leaven, of the, of the bad teaching. It's what leaven was associated with most, most of the time in Scripture. And so he's using that illustration and saying, listen, beware of the error, of the bad teaching that permeates and has impact. It comes from the Pharisees. You get to verse 11, he, warned, he says it again, right? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then the Bible says, then they understood the lights start to come on. They begin to have a little bit more understanding. Jesus' perfect patience is now paying off, isn't it? They begin to understand that he was actually talking about their teaching. Many discussions about what he's referring to here when it comes to the leaven, but we, we know that it's about the teaching of the Pharisees. Was it their, their over emphasis on works? Was it their addition to the word? What, what was the leaven exactly? I think that you could just say everything that they were teaching was part of it. They were legalists. They had destroyed the word by adding so many rules and regulations to it. And they were so preoccupied with the salvation of works that they had totally destroyed any hope of understanding a gospel of grace. James Montgomery Boyce once put it this way, these two errors are always present in the church as well as in religion generally, which means they are in constant danger. One error is to try to live by law rather than grace. The other erred by rejecting anything that was too demanding, as was Jesus' teaching. That's what you see in the Pharisees and Sadducees. One didn't want 
to buy into the demands of discipleship and the other wanted to so overburden the people that they missed it. Legalism and license are always two dangers we must be on a guard against in the church. Be warned of these things. If we are not careful, friends, we can miss the gospel. We can pollute the gospel. We can, we can, we can cause eternal problems for people in our midst if we do not communicate the gospel clearly. Therefore, we have to be on guard. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Friends, the gospel will always be attacked. It will always be assaulted, but we must be vigilant to watch out for corruptions and be ready to defend it at all costs. We must. The good news, the good news for you and for me this morning is that the kingdom of God continues to advance. God will have his way. God's church will be built. That's a promise. But in the midst of that building, the midst of that advancement, the challenge that we have is that most of the people around us, the gate is wide, it leads to destruction. Most of the people around us are blind to those spiritual kingdom realities. And there are some among us that are sleepy. They're sleepy. The blind and the sleepy are too numerous. And friends, we must speak into their lives. And we must be on guard ourselves that we aren't counted among them all the while trusting the one, the very one who raised the dead is the same one that can give sight to the blind and awaken the sleepy. His name is King Jesus. And he's the one to whom we must trust and look. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth and the word for giving us this morning, for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, the truth is that, that we all need new eyes. We all need the ability to see and to discern the truth. And we know that sin, that the hardness of our hearts is an obstacle towards that. And so Lord, we know that you are powerful. You can destroy the chains. You can, you can, you can give us sight. You can give us understanding and clarity. So Lord, I pray that there are any hard hearts, any blind eyes in this room this morning that you would, you would grant sight, that you would take out that heart of stone and grant them a heart of flesh so that they would be able to be receptive to your gospel. And Father, maybe there's some in this room, they, they found themselves this morning in the same place that these disciples were preoccupied with selfishness, more concerned about temporal matters than they are eternal, more aware of dishwashers than they are their own depravity. God, would you have mercy upon us today? Would you bring us to repentance? Would you transform our lives, Lord, for the glory of your great name? We pray this in Christ's name, amen.